Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Uh, Lord, um, these words that, that your son shared with his disciples on the night before he was crucified are, are so rich and, um, and heavy. And Lord, we, we want what Jesus wanted for them. We want to be able to thrive in the world that we are left in uh, without his physical presence. Lord, we thank you that because he has gone to you that life has taken on so much more of an ability to follow you, to serve you, and to love you, and to grow in you. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we just would pray that you would um, just illuminate your word for us right now. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I read of a little boy that was uh, saying his evening prayers, and um, it was kind of a Lord bless please take care of this and please take care of that and please watch over this and watch over that. And, and um, he asked the Lord to take care of his grandparents and his parents and his siblings and his dog and, and the house and all these things. And just before he said amen, he said, oh, and Lord, don't forget to take care of yourself. <laughs> he said, because if we don't have you, we're all in trouble. And the disciples on this night with Jesus, if they had known, I'll say, if they had known what he was really communicating to them, because even after they leave the upper room, which in John would be between John 14 and 15 and head over to Gethsemane. Jesus is talking about being crucified and Peter still gets before him and says, this will never happen to you. And that's when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, Because uh, they weren't understanding what he was saying. And, you know, um, that they would have known in some ways like this little boy had that fear, if something were to happen to God, they would all be in trouble, would be their way of thinking about it. But God is expressing to them how he is going to minister to them in such so much more of a rich way than someone being physically present with them. So much so that as we read these, these words this morning, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the God the Son and God the Father just get get mingled together like spaghetti because the ministry of the Godhead to us is so much more significant and so much more uh, deeper and indwelling than the disciples disciples ever felt even with Jesus' physical presence. Just so far in John 14, even with Jesus absent, he has been expressing to his disciples how they will be able to walk with him. Now, they'll be able to walk with him, according to verse 6, as the way. 
Walk with him as the truth. Walk with him as the life. He has explained, whereas he's explaining, whereas other leaders might be disbanding their followers at this point, they are going to be doing even greater work than they had done with him. There would be more expansive work. It would be worldwide. It would, it would cover the Roman Empire within a hundred years. All of the civilized world. He's explaining how he will be working in and through his body from the Father's side and how he would, he would be the real work of the church. That if, if they were to ask anything that fit his character, his plan, his purpose, he would do it himself. And so now Jesus turns to the future relationship that his followers will have with God and he introduces the fact that God himself would help them to live their lives with him. Even though he's talking in the context of being physically away from them. And he dives into this with the heaviness that they will be called to follow him without him as they have experienced him. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot. Wouldn't that be a... I mean, if you so ruined the name Judas. I mean, if somebody were like, J.D., not Bowman. (laughs) You'd done a bad, bad thing. Um, So he has to clarify this. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away. And I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. 
And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer walk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So Jesus' final statement here of rise, let us go from here is from what, what we can best understand here is that this is the point where they leave the upper room and they start making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Somewhere over 16 and 17, they cross over the Kidron Valley to the east of Jerusalem and start heading up the hill to the Garden of Gethsemane. So the following chapters are taught and prayed, as 17 is, on his way to that garden But this formal instruction as a part of this Passover moment, as a part of this time up in the upper room that Jesus has with his 11, with Judas having left to go and to get a a group of soldiers and temple guards, this is the closing of Jesus' final instruction, these words here with his disciples. And in a lot of ways, Jesus is giving us the future rules of the house, especially in the first three verses. And we may not get past the first three verses, to tell you the truth, this morning. Me and the Lord have been wrestling with this passage all week. Those of you that I asked to pray for me, I appreciate that. And the Lord has certainly answered um, in a big way. And I think he's so much answered by telling me, Slow down. Um, but, you know, we have this, this uh, picture in our house, and they by no means are the official rules of the Bowman house. But they're, I, I would say that they are what we would love to be, the consistent rules of the Bowman house. And sometimes, you know, you're at TJ Maxx or something like that, and, and um, the men are like, what's TJ Maxx? But... Um, <laughs> And you find these pictures that, that are kind of just canvases wrapped around and you're just like, a lot of times they're like, ah, cheesy, cheesy, cheesy. And then you just see one and you're like, that's awesome. You know, that, that we got to bring home. I, you know, that either fits us or we want that to fit us. And this one says, in this house, we laugh a lot. We try our best. We are patient most of the time. We tell the truth. We support each other. We hug often. We make mistakes. We never give up. We always forgive. We keep our promises. We always have fun. But above all, we love. And and just seeing, I can remember Kelly bringing that home, or maybe we just saw it together, or she saw it and brought it over to me, and I was like, yes, that's, we, we, we need that in our house. Because we want those to be the rules of the house. And Jesus, in a lot of ways, is giving us in the first three verses here the rules of the house for God's family, for what it will be in God's family living with God in the way that he will have purchased for his children. And you'll see those in a moment here. But first, I want to get across to you that, that 
Our main idea here is that followers of Christ are called to walk with God in a relationship of loving obedience with the help of the Holy Spirit. And in so many ways, this summarizes the first three verses and then the remaining verses of Jesus' teaching of his disciples and his, and his answering of uh, Judas, not Iscariot's question, is, is hashing through these future rules of the house that could be summarized in the fact that followers of Christ are called to walk with God in a relationship of loving obedience and with the help of the Holy Spirit. And you'll see, I hope here, how this walking with God is summarized in these verses where he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. First thing we see here, and it's heavy, it's, it's big. This is probably the thing that, that I wanted to skirt over. And, and the Lord was saying, oh, J.D., stop here, stop here, stop here. And I, and I even worded this the first time as that we are to be walking with God um, with obedience being from the heart. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, if we love him, it should result in obedience. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. And of course, then you got to ask the question, what are Jesus' commandments? What's he talking about here? We haven't run over a lot of commandments here in the Gospel of John, although he's called us to believe him, to taste him, to get up and walk, to follow him, to trust in him. But I want you to know that Jesus' teaching did reiterate the Ten Commandments. Every one of the Ten Commandments, even if when he said, confirmed that the Sabbath was not made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but, ma- but the Sabbath was made for man. There's something in there in rest and in our need for setting things aside and for focusing on relationships and focusing on our relationship with the Lord. And so I'm not going to go there, but, but, but Jesus' teaching and you might have to go outside of the Gospel of John, did reiterate God's commands. And he, he, in the following verses, he, he substitutes back and forth my commands and my words. Keep my commands, keep my words. And in, in the Old Testament, the term used for the Ten Commandments could also be called and was called often God's Ten Words. And the Ten Commandments summarized God's moral law. Thankfully, Jesus is not saying here, if you want to have a relationship with me, you must keep my commandments. But he is connecting, and we in the Western world need to hear this. He is connecting our love to our obedience. 
And I'll explain what I mean by that we in the Western world need to hear this. But the heart is like a roundhouse. And, and I, you probably, you might not know what a roundhouse is, okay? It's not a karate move that I'm talking about here. Um, we, uh, I wouldn't have known this if I hadn't lived in the Black Hills of South Dakota. One of our favorite restaurants in the Black Hills was called the Roundhouse Restaurant. And it was, it's a train theme. It's an old train house, okay? And, and they had like, you could go up and you could eat in the train cars if you wanted to. They had like a fake train along the back and that was kind of cheesy and stuff, but they had little flat screen TVs that had like, you know, looked like trees going by and stuff the whole time. Um, <laughs> But the reason why it was there is that in the Black Hills, up in, this would have been in Lead um, of the Black Hills, uh, this train would have come from about south of the Black Hills, about the Hot Springs area and stuff like that. And there's not a lot of acreage up there for turning a train around. Okay, so what would happen here is the trains would pull in and into the roundhouse, and the floor of the roundhouse would actually be able to shift. And, and so they would kind of pull in, and they dis- disconnect the locomotive from the line of cars, and they would park on the round floor thing. And they could also park the train, the locomotives, in there. But a locomotive com- could come in there on one track, and the floor would shift, and it would aim it to the other track, and they could hook up to the cars on that track and go to a different location. Or I guess somehow maybe take those cars back to where they came from. But that was the only way to go about there. If the train came out of there on the wrong track, they wouldn't have gone over to it and been like, whoa, this train isn't supposed to be here. We better pick it up and move it over to this other track, right? It would have been a problem that needed to go all the way back to the roundhouse to fix, okay? Get the train all the way back, get it back on there, set it on the right track, and send it down there, okay? What I want you to understand here that is that when we are failing to obey God, when we have that area, whether it be by commission, committing a sin, that we just know the Lord is just directing us that this is um, something that, that, that needs to change in us. And let me say, I'm, I'm talking about someone who has received Christ as their Savior. They've recognized that they cannot earn a relationship with God on their own. They recognize that that's the reason why Christ died and rose again, so that we could have that relationship with him based on God's righteousness, not based on ours. And they have received that righteousness of Christ. They've received the work that he did on his death and his resurrection to count for them. And by doing that, the Holy Spirit has come and is indwelling them and teaching them and moving in their, in their lives and and. and convicting them and and so we bring us to that point so when we have a place in our life that the that the lord is convicting us about or we read it on the text and he's not convicting us but it's there in scripture the problem is not fixed by trying to work to pick the train up and move it over to the obedience track jesus is saying 
there's a problem in your love. There's a problem in the roundhouse. The obedience flows or doesn't flow from here. We're called to obey Christ out of love. That isn't certainly an aspect of that. And if we don't care about keeping God's commands, it's a problem of our love for him. God is worthy to be treasured above all temptations, above all inconveniences of obeying him. And when we struggle with obeying, it's a struggle to love the one who is most worthy of our love. Bottom line, it's a problem here. The idea of obeying God out of love for him is actually not something new with Jesus. It was actually God's intention all along. The Shema of Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. In Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13, it's repeated in this way. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. The challenge for us is that, as I pointed this out last week or so, is in the West, we do something called compartmentalizing. Okay? We want to, we want to like check things and be like, well, how's my love for God? It's like, so we think in terms of, well, I can open up my love compartment and be like, oh, it's full. Man, I got so much love for God. I got so much good feelings. I'm just so thankful for him. He's there for me. He's everything for me. And then we think, how's my obedience? That it's a, that it's a different compartment. Oh, well, you know, I'm just so grateful that my relationship with God isn't based on obedience. You know, I'm just so grateful. Then we say, I'm so grateful for grace. But that's because we generally think that grace is only forgiveness. But grace is redemption. It's reconciliation. It's being made God's child in relationship with him. It's so much more than just forgiveness. But this is what we have to work against in the Western world. It's putting those two things in compartments separate from each other. And Jesus doesn't let us get away with that. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's all one compartment. And one flows out of the other. As it's been said, and we'll look at this again when Jesus talks about it in terms of abiding with him, a root problem, a fruit problem of obedience is a root problem that starts here. And let's not claim that we love him so much and ignoring our life. 
But at the same time, our love, I mean, this is a horizon issue. I mean, we're, we're told, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and your might. I mean, that's, that's, that's a horizon issue that we may never reach. Um, yeah. You know, when it comes to the Great Commission, this has been called lately the Great Omission. You know, when it comes to uh, the things that we think about, the things that we talk about, we're called to obey Him. And it's a reflection of our heart. And it's very real to pray just as Peter prayed. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. It's very real to also pray, Lord, I love you, but help my lack of love. Because that's what's showing up in this area. And we will always be dealing with that lack of love in his grace. But he does have an intention of working from within our hearts to change the track that our life is on. So maybe that's just a shot at the compartmentalizing of the Western world. Jesus wants to do this morning, but, but it's nothing new for God's desires for us, for him, for him to desire for us to obey him, just as we talked about from Deuteronomy. This is not just a New Testament thing, but what we have within the New Testament is a helper, a helper to do so. The help of the Holy Spirit we see is given to us to help us walk with God. Jesus tells us, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you for forever. Now, the NIV calls this, uh, whereas the NAS and the ESV here calls the Holy Spirit the helper, the NIV calls him the counselor. Okay, and there's a reason for this. He's, the term here is parakletos. You've probably heard that before. Um, para means to come alongside and help. The reason why the NIV calls him the counselor, it's not like the counselor that listens to you um, and tries to help you with things. It's like the counselor that's there for you in a courtroom that's going to come alongside of you and help you to navigate and help you to, to uh, well, as 1 John 2.1 calls him the advocate who is the one that represents us at court and stands at our side to plead our case. This is the helper that we've been given. And in the same way, this is why Galatians 5.16 tells us, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's given us to us in a very real way to help us to obey and Jesus goes on to give another name to the Holy Spirit, and that's the Spirit of Truth. And he draws out of this how it is a blessing that we see the truth, okay? And he'll build onto this in his answer to uh, Judas, not Iscariot's, question, um, you know, why are you going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And he'll build onto this a little bit, this idea 
that, that uh, we are blessed to be able to see the truth. But he says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Excuse me. What a sad description of the world that we live in. The Holy Spirit's given to us to minister to us with the truth, through the truth, to help us to see in this particular contest what Jesus said, he meant that. And he's here to to defeat, if you think about it, the only weapon that our enemy really has, and that's lies. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The world cannot receive. Well, let me just say, just speaking of the area of if you love me, you'll obey my commandments and the lie of compartmentalizing. I knew a man, the father of, of a family, a teacher in a congregation that I was a part of, and a great expounder of the word. And all the while, he was molesting his daughter. And, and I feel for him and for the family, even still. But his son shared with me something that he told him. He said, you know, I know a lot about God's word. My problem's always been application. I think that's a lie. I mean, like application is just this little part of reading God's word, of studying it, of knowing it. Um, His his problem was a heart problem. I mean, and listen, we all have things that we reach to to cope with, you know, and, and I have ones that go beyond stealing my kids' Halloween candy. You know, and God has things that he's working on in us. You know, and so nobody's perfect here. But this man represented someone that had gone down a long road of lies. And and it really had just been telling himself all he had was an application problem. We've been given the spirit of truth to defeat Satan's lies. A real weapon against a weaker weapon. We're told the world cannot receive this Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4 4 tells us, in their case, speaking of the world, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And you can see in your notes, we'll unpack this next week, that we are a privileged people to be able to see the truth. We really are. It's a gift from God. We're also told of being able to walk with God. This, are, again, are the rules of the house that Jesus is laying out for this new time of him being gone. But as we'll see next week, God just ministering to us in a huge way compared to when Jesus walked this earth. That we're to be walking with God and we're given the indwelling God. Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, um, it, it, uh, it wasn't something unique. 
to that day. The Spirit was active in the Old Testament, but his indwelling the believer, his being there as a guarantee, as, a, as like a wedding ring of their inheritance that they would have with the Lord one day. This was unique. This is, we need to understand that this is a unique experience that we have compared to prior to Jesus' ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he's telling them about this He's, he's giving them this new rule of the house of the God that would indwell them. And there's so many wonderful statements that we'll see um, that describes this. Let's see if I can find one of my favorites. Sorry, I'm kind of shooting from the hip a little bit here. In that day, in verse 20, he says, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and, and will come to him, and, make, and, uh, and we will come to him, and make our home with him. These are significant statements describing what we should be experiencing, but you need to understand, the disciples weren't experiencing this. These are new rules of the house the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the the ministry of the Godhead within their lives. All the Old Testament prophesied of this in Ezekiel 36, 27. We're told, God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and, and be careful to obey my rules. This is a promise of these days. That for a follower of Christ, we would have God's Holy Spirit put within us, and as we see that, to allow us to walk in his statutes and to obey his rules or his commandments. John writes about this all over his epistle, 1 John, where he says in 1 John 3, 24, whoever keeps my commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he gave us. In 1 John 4, 13, he says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He's teaching off of his experience of what Jesus was promising was going to be happening as a new rule of the house and God's family. We're told in Romans 8, 16. This is, our, this is my favorite verse on assurance of salvation. Our assurance comes from the fact that God's spirit testifies to my spirit that I am a child of God. It says, through whom we call out, Abba, Daddy. It's God's spirit within us that empowers us to do that. These statements about obedience in this new paradigm of Jesus' absence Yet the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence along with it, these, as I've said, these are the new rules of the house for God's family. This is what we should be regularly accustomed to as God's followers. And we're going to stop right here for this week. Um, And as we move into our time of response and, and praise, being a main part of that, and I, the, the praise team can come on up. I can't help but feel like maybe for 
many of us, like me, you know, when I'm studying and studying and studying this verse, specifically 15, it's like I didn't want it to say what it was saying. Because I knew, God, you're telling me I don't love you enough. But that's where the work needs to be done. It doesn't help us at all to deny that. And maybe just for you in a real significant way, you realized you've been thinking this way. My love is totally separate from my obedience. Jesus wants to break through with his spirit of truth and say, that's a lie. If you'll love me, you'll keep my commands. You'll care about keeping my commands. You won't go on excusing this. You won't keep making excuses. You'll do what needs to be done to obey in this area that I've been talking to you about. And I know he has because he's given us his Holy Spirit, right? Lord, I just pray that each one of us, I don't know why you have us camped here. Maybe it's just my hard head that wants to move on faster. Lord, I pray that you would bring us to a unity of love and obedience. May we would see our disobedience for what it is. And we'd be willing to pray, Lord, I do love you, but I've got a lot of unbelief. I've got a lot of lack of love. Lord, we love to love you. And we want to love you more. Just pray, Lord God, that you meet us in a significant way. I pray that you have been meeting us in a significant way through these verses. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.